Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Scripture Uncovered. We left off learning about gaps in biblical narrative, about gaps deliberately created by the narrator that we have to fill in step by step, sometimes going back and reevaluating in a cyclical fashion, reading the gaps. And we applied that to the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. Now let's go right back into the story and pick up at the beginning with reading the gaps in mind. So here we have the story itself. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There, offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point out to you. Early the next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and after cutting the wood for the burnt offering, set out for the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place from a distance. Now, we have two gigantic gaps right here. Between verses 2 and 3, an entire night passes between God telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham deciding to do it. And number two, between verses 3 and 4. Three days pass between Abraham, Isaac, and the servants heading out in the morning and when they arrive at the place God tells Abraham about. So what was Abraham's thinking during that long, dreadful night that brought him to get up in the morning, chop enough wood to consume an entire human corpse, and head out? And we can't even begin to imagine what Abraham was thinking. The terror and anxiety he felt during the night, the doubts in his mind about God and about himself, his love for Isaac, what he would tell Sarah, and the list goes on and on. That would be a horrible, nightmarish night. As readers, we know that God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, in which he says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will find blessing in you. And we also know that the blessing will be transmitted through Isaac, not Ishmael. For when Sarah demands that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away, God says to Abraham, Obey Sarah, no matter what she asks of you. For it is through Isaac that descendants will bear your name. So we can only imagine then Abraham's shock when God tells him to sacrifice Isaac. And we can only stand puzzled, jaws agape, along with Abraham, at God's motive for issuing such a command. Between verses 2 and 3, an entire night passes, and by morning, Abraham has determined to obey God's command. As readers, 
we're left to puzzle over Abraham's thoughts during that dreadful night, to imagine the depth and pain of his struggle, and to reconstruct the reasoning that leads him to obey God's command. As our story continues, we read, On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place from a distance. Abraham said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. They're going to travel 65 miles from Beersheba to Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem of today. Mount Moriah, where the temple platform sits, where Solomon's temple sat, and where the temple of Jesus' day sat. The very spot. Now, wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me that God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac where Solomon later built the temple, where the Dome of the Rock stands today, and right near where Jesus was crucified? Holy cow, that adds a lot to the story. So during the three-day journey, does Abraham question his decision? Does he vacillate? Does he speak with Isaac or Does a grim silence shroud the three-day journey? And what is Isaac thinking? We can only speculate, and in doing so, fill in the gaps, drawing from previous information about Abraham and his relationship with God, about his decision-making processes, and about what we've learned of Abraham's personality. Once again, we have a very sparse narrative. The three-day journey seems a silent progression through indeterminate territory, a path never before walked, a blank duration, as Arbach says, between what has passed and what lies ahead. The journey is positively dreamlike. We have no description of the landscape, no dialogue, No indication of tension, no passage of time, nothing. As Abraham and Isaac trudge together toward the mountain, we have an open gap until Isaac asks, Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? At this, Abraham's composure cracks. He he replies, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Here, in a dazzling moment of grammatical ambiguity, our narrator strikes a near-fatal blow at Abraham's resolve. When we are unable to tell if, grammatically, my son is an appositive or evocative, that is, Will God provide an offering other than Isaac? Or will God provide my son? That comma makes a big difference. If you were to say to someone, 
feed the lion, comma, Bill. Then I, Bill, would pick up the meat and go out and feed the lion. But if you were to say, feed the lion, Bill, I'd run out the door. The comma makes all the difference. Isaac is with Abraham on the journey. But like the journey itself, we know virtually nothing about him. The last we saw Isaac was when he was weaned. And now we see him again here. We have nothing in between but a gigantic gap. Now later, we learn that Sarah dies at 127 years old in chapter 23, verse 1, the very next chapter. Now, since Isaac was born when Sarah was 90, he's 37 when his mother dies, perhaps placing him during the journey in his early 30s. For he could not have carried the load of wood if he were a mere child. And notice that aside from asking where the lamb is, Isaac has nothing to say as he allows himself to be bound and offered for sacrifice. He is a willing, silent victim. But notice what Abraham says. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, if Abraham was going to sacrifice the 30-something Isaac, What's with the we will come back to you? Now that is interesting. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Next, he bound his son Isaac, put him on top of the wood of the altar. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. He's going to do it. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay a hand on the boy, said the angel. Do not do the least thing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you did not withhold from me your son, your only one. Abraham looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. We have a wonderful, famous Caravaggio painting of the sacrifice of Isaac, an oil on canvas from 1603. It's in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. I've stood looking at this painting from only a couple of feet away, and I've stood there for 20 or 30 minutes just pondering this painting. Go to Google and look up Caravaggio, Sacrifice of Isaac, and you will see it. It is filled with action and ambiguity. The look on Abraham's face, the angel holding Abraham's right hand with his knife in it, Abraham with his left hand, grasping Isaac by the back of the neck, pinning him down to the altar. Isaac, screaming in terror. It is quite the painting. Be sure you look it up. Homer's The Odyssey and Genesis, nearly contemporary texts, stand in sharp contrast to one another. The Odyssey is fully realized, 
Filled with details, character development, a wash in sights, sounds, and smells, everything, including past events, pushed to the foreground. Whereas, in the Sacrifice of Isaac's story, only the decisive points of the narrative stand in the foreground. All else is relegated to the background, gaps to be filled in by the reader. So this opens our story to a much broader range of interpretation. As Arbach says, in the story of Isaac, it is not only God's intervention at the beginning and the end, but even the factual and psychological elements which come between that are mysterious, merely touched upon, fraught with background, and therefore they require subtle investigation and interpretation. Indeed, they demand it. The deliberate gaps and ambiguities sown throughout Scripture enable exceedingly complex character development and a wide range of interpretation across the span of the entire biblical narrative. For example, if we read the Sacrifice of Isaac story within the broader context of the Christian canon of Scripture, we find interpretive clues to its deeper meaning within that context, meanings that we would not have found otherwise. When Abraham says to his servants, we will worship and then we will come back to you, the epistle to the Hebrews picks up on it and understands in light of the Christian experience that, and now I read from Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, that by faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac descendants shall bear your name. He, Abraham, reasoned that God was able to raise the dead, and indeed he received Isaac back as a symbol. From this perspective, we can see immediate parallels to the sacrifice of Isaac's story to that of Jesus in the Gospels. One, Abraham offers his only son as a sacrifice. God offers his only son as a sacrifice. Two, Isaac is to be sacrificed in the region of Moriah. Christ is sacrificed in the region of Moriah. Number three, Isaac carries the wood of the, fi uh, for the, of the fire for his own sacrifice. Christ carries the wood of the cross for his own sacrifice. Four, Abraham is told God will provide the lamb for the sacrificial offering. God provides Christ, the lamb of God, for the sacrificial offering. And five, Isaac is about 33 years old when Abraham offers him as a sacrifice. Christ is about 33 years old when God offers him as a sacrifice. Another painting by Zerberon, the Lamb of God, oil on canvas, is in the Prado Museum in Madrid. Again, like the Uffizi Gallery, I've been to the Prado many a time and viewed this magnificent painting of the Lamb of God. Look that one up on Google as well. Zerberon, 
the Lamb of God in the Prado. Nicely done, I should say. After the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham and Isaac return to Beersheba, and we learn that Sarah later dies in Hebron, and Abraham mourns for her. Then Abraham addressed the Hittites, those currently controlling the land, and our story continues. So the sacrifice of Isaac, or the binding of Isaac, one of the great stories in the book of Genesis, and indeed one of the great stories in all of Scripture, a story with gaps big enough to drive a truck through that demand from us, the reader, that we fill in those gaps. And we even gain additional information for filling in the gaps when we get all the way back to chapter 11 of the epistle to the Hebrews. You see how scripture is interconnected. The fabric is tightly woven from beginning to end. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And that's why we need to become educated readers of Scripture, dear friends. And I'll be back with you, and we'll pick up right where we left off in the story of Abraham. Bye-bye now.